Okay, now we are. Let's come to our Father in prayer. Father, we thank you for your holy word. We ask that you would do for us what only you can do. Open your word to us that we may be instructed, reproved and corrected and trained in all righteousness. We want to hear you speak to us through your word. Father, we pray that you alone will get the glory. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Right, as I was uh, preparing for this, for this uh, section of Scripture, um, about toil, very much about uh, a, uh, a work ethic... Basically, in an earthly, in an earthly manner... Um, I found this, there was this article, and I wasn't aware of this, and I'll just go to has a really hard work ethic over there, and uh, they've got a problem, uh, and it was this death from overwork, Japan's Kuroshi culture blamed for young man's heart failure. Uh, this is about this, this article is about this, about this uh, culture thing that's going on. Authorities rule that Joey Tocknan's death was directly related to long hours of overtime, up to 122 and a half hours a month he was forced to perform. Three months before he was due to be re- reunited with his wife and daughter in the Philippine, Philippines, Joey his punishing work schedule finally took its toll. In April 2014, the 27-year-old trainee at a casting company in central, central Japan, he died of heart failure at his firm's dormitory. He had been working 78 and a half to 122 and a half hours of overtime a month, according to the Labor Standards Inspection Office. And they did a white paper on this. And apparently there is the government, it says here, uh, claims for compensation for Kuroshi, rose to a record high of 1,456 in the year to the end of March last year, according to Labor Ministry data. Outrageous, isn't it? Where you have a culture where you have to work so hard and uh, it's, actually, uh, it's actually crazy for us to think, to think of that. But yet, that's the reality of what we live in now in, these, in this time. We seem to think that we just work constantly and there's no time for anything. Um, in this section of, of this part of Ecclesiastes, last time we saw where he was looking at the oppression and the oppressors and what was happening and how it was almost better to be, have non-existence than to be oppressed. That's what, he's, that's what his uh, uh, observation was. But tonight, as we look at these at these verses, the preacher moves on from harm done by oppressors of the tyrants to harm that we do to ourselves. He observes that much of what is done in our toil is done out of envy and rivalry. Starting with verse 4 of chapter 4, he says, Then I saw that all toil and all skill 
in work come from a man's envy of his neighbor. This also is vanity and striving after wind. Uh, This envy, this uh, covetousness, this desire, resentment, uh, can stem from bitterness, discontent. It's the green-eyed monster. It's that you want to get above, you want to get more than what your neighbor has. It's what you want to, at all costs, you want to... uh, you want to attain. And as we go through these, through these, uh, this chapter, it's to note that um, the preacher, Koleth, these are only observations. He doesn't give us answers as we go through this chapter. He's just observing what he sees that's done under the sun. There's no, uh, there's no, uh, there's no solution here. But he does, but we do know that on this side of uh, the cross, we do. And so, we will look at um, scriptures out of the New Testament as well. So then he goes on to say, the fool folds his hands and eats his own flesh. Well, this again is is, uh, the preacher using hyperbole. And this is the other end of the spectrum. So now we see where a man is consumed with envy and toil and work and he works every hour that, that he's given to work. But now we see, now, now the preacher observes the fool who will sit by and says, well, I'm not going to be uh, trying to keep up with the Joneses. I'm just going to sit by and see what happens. Um, this laziness is just as bad. It happened even in the, in the 1970s or 60s when the, uh, the hippie movement came and they would just give up everything and they would just sit out in the grass and just do nothing and they got nothing and that's just as just as bad as the other the other end of the spectrum this attitude of this laziness eating your own flesh is just your, it's just it's just it's its own punishment um, he's saying that although he does nothing he doesn't sow anything he doesn't reap anything all he's left to eat is his own flesh Then in verse 6 he says, Better is a handful of quietness than two handfuls of toil and a striving after wind. Again, this is a proverb, and it's much like Solomon. Here we have a proverb where this handful of quietness is what the preacher means for peace and tranquility or a quiet attitude versus having two hands full of toil and a striving after wind. This quietness is not just sitting down like the fool does and does nothing. But this quietness is a, um, it's not a working ethic, but it is a, it is a peaceful, tranquil position that the, that, that the person puts itself into. Versus, again, going after the, with two hands full of toil and, and, and striving. And then, he, then he goes on in verse 7. Again, I saw vanity under the sun. One person who has no other either son or brother, yet there is no end to all his toil. And his eyes are never satisfied with riches, so that he never asks, for whom am I toiling and depriving myself of pleasure? This also is vanity and an unhappy business. In this observation, uh, he begins and ends this, this section this, this, at the end of this first, uh, this, this first topic I've got of uh, the vanity of selfish toil. He ends this one. He begins and ends with vanity. We've looked before that this vanity is another word uh, for vapor. Uh, the Hebrew is hebel. 
So he's observing who actually gets the benefit of all this toil this man's, man's doing. This one is more like a covetousness. He wants to have more. He's never satisfied. Um, he gives up on relationships. He's a workaholic. He's insecure. He doesn't, doesn't feel like he has enough. Um, he's observing this man goes into isolation. He neglects relationships. Uh, say if uh, somebody that, you know, if your family wants to come and talk to you or a, or, or a colleague or, or a neighbor, you wouldn't have time for him. He has to keep on. He has to press on and make his money or reap whatever he's, he's, uh, he's going for. So he's in isolation. Many wives and spouses and families that lose precious time with family members due to this selfish drive for earthly satisfaction. Satisfaction, yeah. You can see where someone's climbed that um, that corporate ladder, and they've and they've missed out on on time with their family because they had to get ahead. They had to get that promotion. They had to make well. They had to get the better car. They had to get the widescreen TV. So what in this first section that, that the preacher is observing is it's all a, it's all a vanity. Um, he says it's um, what, for, what, for what purpose? And then we look and I want to look and see what, what, what Christ says of all this work and all this toil and all these things that, that, that the preacher is observing. In Mark uh, chapter 8 verses 34 to 37 Jesus says and calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he said to them, if anyone, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Whoever would lose, whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? For what can a man give in return for his soul? very words that are really an antithesis to what this guy is doing. He's, he's working all the time. He wants more. Never satisfied. He's, and, and Jesus says, um, what does it profit you if you, lo- if you gain the whole world but lose your own soul? Uh, that is a, a warning call um, for us. God intends us to work. It is a work. It is an ethic that we should do. It is... Uh, Something that's been mandated from the, from the beginning, but also he particularly he wants us to work those that are in the church. Paul writes in Thessalonians chapter two Thessalonians chapter three, for even when we were with you, we would give you this command: if anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. For we hear that some among you walk in idleness, not busy at work, but busy bodies. Now such persons we command and encourage in the Lord Jesus Christ to do their work quietly and to earn their own living. And also in Colossians uh, chapter 3, verse 23. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men. So we can see God's word, God's mandate is clear that we should be working. Um, And then as, as our work, we should be working as Christians. We should be representing Christ in our work. So what this world is doing and what this world is, is uh, toiling after, those that are caught up in this envy and this covetousness, it is chasing after the wind. Um, it gets them nowhere. It's only temporal. 
And then I was just, as I was looking at this, this Christian ethic of work, uh, I went to Wayne, Wayne Grudem's his book in Systematic Theology. And just for this definition, he says there is a distinct, there is a, a distinction reflected in the following definition between uh, this 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 um, this theology or the or the ethic of, of, of this uh, work. He says Christian ethics in, is any study that answers the question: What does God require us to do, and what attitudes does God does He require us to have today? So this is about absolutes and values and relative values. I'm sorry. What we see here is that this toil and skill and the quietness, they're not absolute values, but they are relative. Work is good. We have to work. But if it's done appropriately, in a fitting way, rest is good too. If it is, if it is enjoyed fittingly. This is consistent with Scripture. Proverbs fifteen sixteen says, Better is a little with the fear of the Lord than great treasure and trouble with it. And then in Timothy 1, verse, uh, chapter 6, it says, But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing, can't take anything out of, it, out of the world. So it is, a, it is a right Christian ethic to work, but to work rightly. As Koalath, or as the preacher was observing, was this madness about working 122 hours overtime in a month or to forsake all, all, uh, all your uh, relationships or to isolate yourself and to be insecure in all of this in your job. So as Christians, we must reflect on, on what we're doing in our work ethic. Are we working for Christ? Are we working out of contentment? Are we satisfied in what we're doing? So we must choose contentment over achievement, over this envy and this covetousness that is so prevalent in, in the workforce today. And then we move on to this to this next section, verses 9 to 12. And uh, in these verses, you find the preacher almost getting optimistic for a moment in what he's viewing in this over this potential uh, of this life. So he says, Two are better than one because they have a good reward for their toil. For if they fall, one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him who is alone. When he falls, he has, he has not another to lift him up. Again, if two lie together, they keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? And though a man might prevail against one who is alone, two will withstand him. A threefold, a threefold cord is not quickly broken. Again, observations of the preacher. Work accomplished with more than one is much more prosperous than work done on one's own. Work that is done for the good of others as an expression of community gives the individual profit in life, not as a means of accumulating individual wealth. Working for oneself out of envy and covetousness is vapor, while working for others is great gain. So these, as his observations, they have a good reward for their work, for their labor. They can lift each other up. They can keep each other warm. They can act as each other's advocates against oppression. And they are a cord, they're like a cord of three strands. Now this, against this, this, this verse, or these words here, this cord of three strands, has been sentimentalized a lot. I know in, in many weddings, it's the man, and, or the husband, the wife, and God, represented as God. Or it can be uh, as the Trinity. Um, 
But this is not what the preacher is saying. This is not what his, his intention of, of this is. It's, uh, he's basically saying, where all these twos are good, even three is better. Where you've got two, even better than that is three. So, that's community. And so what, we, what we're looking at is, is this sense of, of, the, of the benefit of working with somebody, along somebody, alongside somebody, not for wealth, but for, for good, for gain, and not, uh, not out of selfish, selfish ambition. Zechariah uh, chapter 7, verse 8 to 10 says, And the word of the Lord came to Zechariah, saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, Render true judgments, show kindness and mercy to one another. Do not oppress the widow, the fatherless, the sojourner, or the poor. And let none of you devise evil against one against another in your heart. In James, in James 1 verse uh, 27, he says, Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. The reason I chose those, those two verses or those two scriptures is that when we're doing things, when we're doing things, especially in the church, when we're wanting to uh, have community, um, when we work together, we're more strong. We are, there's great opportunities with that we face every day. And it's, sometimes we, it costs. And we have to put ourselves out to do it. But where there's two of us or even more of us, there's more benefit. So when we are thinking about community versus what was previously in the previous section about your isolation, your loneliness, this, I think, is what we can learn from, from his observation. So we choose relationships over riches or wealth. And then he comes to the, this third section Verses 13 to 16. Better was a poor and wise youth than an old and foolish king who no longer knew how to take advice. For he went from prison to the throne, though in his own kingdom he had been poor. I saw all the living who move about under the sun, along with that youth who was to stand in the king's place. There was no end of all the people, all of whom he led. Yet those who come later will not rejoice in him. Surely this also is vanity. And the striving after the wind. Wind. This sort of he sort of departs and, and looks at not just work, but at popularity and fame, and uh, and that here we see the preacher observing a poor yet wise youth ascending to the throne. He deposes a king who had become old and foolish, and did not seek advice and counsel anymore. This rise to the top by a poor youth is worthy of admiration. But not everyone will accept or appreciate him. It's admirable to have this to happen, but that's not going to gain 100% popularity with everybody. So, this, so even though this youth rises to the top, it's not going to gain. It's not going to guarantee he'll, he'll be there for long, basically. And then on the, there's a note on on the verse 15. Uh, if you look. I have this notes, these two different notes. There is basically what it's saying is, uh, I saw all the living who move about under the sun along with that youth. So that note, there's a second youth. And so I guess some of the versions, there'll be a second youth who was to see the king's place or his place. 
So already, you see that, that what the preacher is saying is even though this, this youth has risen, has excelled, there's already somebody back behind, a second one, already ready to take his place. This is vanity, also a striving after the wind. This is a parable on a succession of kings, none who fully, satis- none who fully satisfies the people. The preacher is pointing out that the brevity of popularity and life at the top is really brief. It is better to be the poor wise youth than spending one's entire life seeking advancement and popularity. So many of us, we see, if we look even at some of our television programs, The Apprentice, and how they'll stab each other in the back. We can watch... Um, uh, I'm a, I'm a what is it? I'm a celebrity. Get me out of here! Or any of these, any of these things that we that we can observe in our Big Brother, The Apprentice. I'm a celebrity. It's all about getting the having the best over over somebody else. And what what the preacher is saying here is to be satisfied with where you at. It's better to be a poor youth and a wise youth than a king who's who doesn't take counsel anymore, who is then off, who is suddenly de- dethroned and and forgot about, cast aside. Popularity is not the same as community or fellowship. So surely this also is a vanity and a striving after wind. The reformer Martin Luther summarizes this chapter well. He said the meaning is this, it is better to be in association with others and to enjoy things in common than to be a solitary miser who only cares about himself and grabs things for himself alone. In society, there is mutual help, common work, and column and common solace. Luther's works that's on the volume fifteen is on his is, is his exposition on uh, Ecclesiastes. From the very beginning, God has planned this this sense of community, this this sense of society. He says, uh, God says in the beginning. Um, it is not good that man should be alone. I will make a helper fit for him. Genesis 2.18 So where, where, the, where the problem comes is at the fall. When Adam, when Eve and that, Adam and Eve sinned and they broke relationship also with God but with one another. There was an interper, interpersonal breaking of that relationship. So there, from the, from the beginning, from that sin, from that sin, we've, We've lost that. We've lost that what God had intended to have. Um, it goes on. That loss of, of community happened with uh, Cain and Abel between brothers. Joseph and his brothers. That's been from, from the beginning that God had intended for us to not be for man to be alone but to have to have a helper. And then family is the example of Christ, and what, you know that's, that's our, our, our living example of what what we are—a husband and wife and children—of what Christ is in the church. Um, so what we have discerned from these observations of the preacher, these these three different uh, parts of, the, of this scripture, is that envy, covetousness, and jealousy. Or the acts of sinful nature. Um, 
I'll read to you out of uh, Galatians chapter 5. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, 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 enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. These things are the acts of sinful nature. These things are what came in at the fall. God had intended us for to be in community. But, but, but because, of the, because of sin, that has been broken. And so now we've got this sinful, this sinful nature which is bringing in envy, which is bringing in all these things that we want to grab at for ourselves. Um, verses. And again... But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, and faithfulness, gentleness, self-control against such things. There is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Community. When you, when we, when you become a Christian and you, become, and you come into this community that God has... Brought you into this family. Where you had been estranged. In your sin. Now. Now you're made right. Now you can have. Now you can have fellowship. Primarily with God. But we come into fellowship. Within a community of believers. That's, it's restored. We come into this. These fruits of the spirit now. We leave behind these. Sins of the flesh. Again we look at. These things we discern from the observations of the preacher. This popularity versus influence. So I said about the the culture of uh, today, about the apprentice and the big brother. It's much more be- it's much more beneficial, or better, much more beneficial for us to um, have influence in our work workplaces. Not to be concerned about our promotion or, or how how we're going to climb this this uh, this corporate ladder at the expense of of those around us. Our influence, our, 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 uh, our work ethic at work, our example of Christ in our work is much more, much more important than popularity, which is a vanishing or a, a vapor, a, a, a vanity. Achievement and riches and popularity can all vanish in an instant. These three pursuits in the futile drive for earthly satisfaction are temporary. In the end, they are hebel, vanity, vapor, and, and utter futility. Again, I want to go back just to what Jesus says in Mark. He says, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake and the Gospels will save it. For does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul. But what can a man give in return for his soul? For those of us who know Christ, we have to daily take up our cross and follow him. We must deny ourselves. 
We must evaluate what we're doing in the world, in our workplace, in our ethic, our work ethic. How hard are we working? What about our families, our wives, our husbands, our children, people at church, people that we, that we fellowship with? Do we have time for them? Is it that we are so motivated that we have to be perfect, that we have to gain even envy can, can sneak up on you in the most inundane places and ways. Do I want to be a better singer than this guy next to me? Do I want to, do I want to, uh, to read Scripture better than somebody reads Scripture? It's not right. Our motivation should be not out of envy at all. We should be, he's warning us this in, in these verses to, to stay away from that. To stay away from um, this popularity contest. To stay away from trying to um, be the best at, 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 any, at any expense. But where there is community, where there are two of you, or even three is better, that is, that is, that is in this section, in these verses, that is the one place where you get a glimpse where the preacher, or, or the, he was like sort of upbeat about. So as I close... I like to go to this this one of my favorite and uh, a challenging um, scripture in Hebrews, Hebrews chapter ten. He says this: "Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and." All the more as you see the day drawing near. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word.